Hi, this is Dan Runcy, founder of Trapital, and you're listening to Your Morning Coffee, your place for weekly insights on the new music business with Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. For music business worldwide, Spotify is changing its royalty model to crush streaming fraud and introduce a minimum threshold for payment. From Visual Capitalist, 50 years of music industry revenues by format. And for music business worldwide, Spotify's price hike didn't hurt subscriptions and three other things we learned on its latest earnings call. Oh, Jay, we've been just yapping for uh, more than an hour, and we got so much to cover. We had a wonderful week. It's episode 168. Jay and I couldn't be happier that you are all here. So let's get the party started right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London calling. Wake up! The revolution is at hand! Your morning coffee is on the air. Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news for the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Freaking great song. Yes, that is Hannah Wickland, and the song is called Hell in the Hallway. Um, I recently saw her at the Troubadour uh, here in Los Angeles, and she killed it. Uh, absolutely amazing. Uh, Hannah Wickland, if you haven't heard of her before, um, the song Hell in the Hallway. Great tune, great, great playing, and clearly someone we should be keeping an eye on. Yes. And uh, boy, we had a fun, 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 fun week last week, didn't we? Yeah, we got to see each other in person, which doesn't happen often enough, but uh, you and I met up in Santa Monica um, for the Music Tectonics Conference. 
Oh, and it was great. Uh, great for just personally for us because we saw so many of our fellow coworkers back from our eLabs days at Universal Music Group. And, uh, you yeah. know, it's just uh, they all, uh, Dimitri and his team, do such a wonderful job of putting on this conference. And, you know, it, it's it's hard. You know, there's, they have these little, uh, you know, pieces of paper up on the on tape to, to windows of what, co- what, what discussions and panels were happening. And you're like, I, I, I want to go to all three. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have to choose one. Yeah. And they were all excellent. And as always, I learned so much. And it's so great to be on the cutting edge and to hear what's happening with from people that are doing it. It's yeah. really a blast. Yeah. They sent out a questionnaire afterwards sort of asking, you know, how was your experience? And I was raving about it because it's not just about the panels and it's not just about, you know, um, all the learnings that you get, which is great, but it's, you know, waiting in line for coffee, the people you bump into. And it was so cool. I was sitting at this, uh, at this panel discussion and I look out the window and there you were talking (laughs) with Lisa Ferris, Albie Galutin, uh, Wendy, who else? Yeah. Yeah, it it, It was so cool. Just our, our old team there at universal ECAT slash ELABS. That was that was pretty cool to get to uh, uh, hang out with those guys a bit. Yeah, and of course, you know, so much discussion about AI and all of the things surrounding it. And I mean, it's just a it's a it's a must attend if you can possibly attend if you're yeah. in this business. And they've been doing it for I think this is the fifth year. And look, mm-hmm. we were talking about AI five years ago, um, yes. and it's been around a lot longer than that. The panel that. Um, that I was watching when you were outside distracting me was um, <laughs> they had wave AI, which allows you to create songs from lyric prompts. They had this company decibel, which is really cool. And that really helps people get clearances and licenses. Um, Melodia, you know, again, creating songs um, using AI um, mm-hmm. they draw from creative Commons, So they're not taking somebody else's body of work and drawing from it. And uh, you and I uh, attended a, panel discussion together called Untapped Opportunities in the Music Market uh, with our friend Lisa Ferris from Soundtrack Mm -hmm. Your Brand. That was pretty cool. Yes, it was. And uh, again, you know, it's just it's so fun to be chatting with a lot of these people that are that are knee deep in it day in and day out. And yeah. I just, you know, your brain hurts when you walk away because it's it's so much information going in, and then you, at least on my drive home, I was thinking about it the whole way. You know, it's like, yeah, ooh, ooh, it is. So it was. I uh, took a lot of notes because you are the perfect student, Jay. <laughs> no, because I forget stuff. So speaking of AI, you and I have been talking on the show a lot about companies that are using AI and some of the stories in the news, you know, we talked about Warner music, um, their spin in records had, mm-hmm. uh, partnered with, uh, this startup Endel to create 50 of these, uh, AI generated albums and the same company, uh, Endel, uh, partnered with universal. And we talked about that. And I, um, I sat down and spoke with their CEO, Oleg Stravinsky, And we had a really interesting conversation, and I want to play you a little part of that right now. This is Oleg, the CEO from Endel. I read a quote uh, from you where you said that artists are starting to see AI as an opportunity, not a threat. And I know you've partnered with, you know, not only Grimes and James Blake and Miguel, but uh, recently uh, with Spin and Records. So before we get into the Spin and Records thing, tell us about Endel and how you sort of 
made this transition of not making people afraid of your technology? <laughs> you know, it, it, I think it was a, just a very natural kind of evolution of what we were doing initially just ourselves. Because, you know, as I keep saying, the, the work that we're doing is largely inspired by, you know, the work of Brian Eno and, you know, in a way, Philip Glass and Steve Reich. And, you know, I mean, we we go back. I mean, the, the, this is this is what we're basing kind of our fundamental artistic concept on. So naturally, at some point, we wanted to invite an artist to collaborate with us and see if they would create kind of a sound pack, a stamp pack, and, and, and we would feed that into our algorithm and see what comes out of it. Uh, so, and, you know, as we were thinking that, you know, we, we got an email from Grimes, from someone, Tim Grimes, you know, saying, hey, you know, we, we'd love to collaborate. So that's when, I mean, I think, you know, when, when we've released AI Lullaby, uh, this sleep soundscape back in November 2020, uh, that changed everything for us because we set the precedent for an artist kind of giving us a stamp back. And Claire, obviously, and Grimes, she was, I, I think, kind of a, a perfect candidate for that. Obviously, you know, she's very, very brave. She's not afraid of embracing this new technology. So when we, when we released AI Lullaby and everyone saw what what's possible that kind of paved the way for all of the collaborations that followed yeah and you've had some good ones last time we talked you had announced uh, a collaboration with universal and then just recently uh warner's uh spinning records uh talk about that collaboration yeah that one's that's a big one and that's a little bit different right because um what we've been doing so far is we've been working with individual releases and we've been turning these individual releases into soundscapes, like what we did with um, Black earlier this year and, and, and others. And with uh, Chad Lawson just very recently kind of reimagined his album as a meditation soundscape. But here, Spinning, you know, they have a massive catalog. Uh, and what they've done is they've opened us, kind of opened the floodgates of all of that catalog and they've sent us the stamps from hundreds and hundreds of tracks and we have reimagined these tracks as 50 functional soundscapes that are you know brand new so we've used all of the stamps from their catalog but we've created a new IP that is called Cosmos and we've now we're now rolling out these 50 soundscapes like we're dropping two soundscapes every week and that rollout is going to continue until the end of this year. So that's what's happening, right? Like here, it's it's essentially new IP that is being created using our technology from this massive catalog. Right. How do you describe Endel and Soundscapes to someone that's maybe not tech savvy or somebody from a music company that you're speaking with to get them to understand what it is and how it can benefit them? Um, I mean, it's it's very very simple. I'm I'm telling them, look, we can help you break into the functional music market, which by now everyone knows how big it is. Like, I mean, the music industry has been ignoring, I think, uh, this functional music space for a very very long time, and for a very very long time it was growing. 
And now everyone understands that it's a massive, massive category. I mean, we're talking tens of billions of streams every month. And most of that content is not artist driven. Um, most of that content is not uh, major label content. It's something else. You know, we're talking rain sounds and ocean sounds and even dishwasher sounds. So what I'm saying is, hey, we will take your music and we will turn that into kind of a high quality, premium, scientifically engineered soundscape that is designed to serve a particular function. Uh, it's going to help people focus, relax, sleep, and but it's going to have your DNA in it. And people go like, sure. Yeah. Well, continued success, Oleg. Uh, we'll be watching the uh, journey and cheering from the sidelines. Congratulations on all the progress that you've made. Thank you very much. Thank you. Wow. If that doesn't get you thinking, uh, you know, yeah. it's just, it's a new it's, world, man. It's and, a new world. And by the way, you and I were talking before we hit record, they create these things called soundscapes. And for those that have never heard one or don't know what they're talking about, I want to drop in a little bit of audio from a soundscape so you can get a sense of what they're doing. This is Roberta Flack killing me softly. And this is a soundscape created by Endel. Listen in. of it and well and you and I were t again we're talking about this before we, we hit record today and it's you know we, we both are of course passionate music fans and and we were talking about how it's it's really hard like like I can watch my daughters study and they'll have music blasting in their ears I can't do a damn thing when, when I have music blasting in my ears because I'm listening to the parts I'm listening to the to the composition I'm listening to lots of different things it's really hard for me to go passive as yeah. opposed to active listening and this is such an interesting thing because it's got it's got elements of the song that you recognize but it doesn't force you to be an active listener and yeah. it's fascinating and it's almost like training your brain a little bit to 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 switch off but yeah. not completely off well you just hit it on the head because that's what this music is for wellness it's mm -hmm. for you know uh chill it's for relaxation it's for a lot of things and i see it as a, uh, a new configuration uh, in that i would love to hear some of my favorite albums as soundscapes whether mm -hmm. it's from the beatles or elton john or cheap trick or you know heart whatever it is i would love to hear those kinds of versions because like you the only kind of music i can listen to while i'm busy at work is something like you know lo-fi hip-hop that doesn't distract me i'm lean back it's just more of a painting in the background but if mm -hmm. i put on something with words and solos and those types of things i'll want to focus on that and that doesn't work for me you know and just like you you know my my kids they they can listen to music um, with words as they study and as they do things. I, I can't do that. 
my brain, my limited brain is not wired that way. Um, well, and I, and I, of course, all of this, I hearken back to the great Brian Eno. He had music for airports uh, in the early seventies. I can't remember yeah. exactly what year that came out, but, um, you know, and this, that was kind of his idea, these sort of soundscapes that aren't necessarily music, but they are component. They are music. It's just a different kind of music than a traditional song that we all grew up with. And, uh, to see it expanded. And of course it brings up so many artistic questions. It brings up business questions. It brings up lots of different angles to this that we heard about at music tectonics. And, you know, again, these were big parts of discussions that were happening there that made it so darn fascinating. And, uh, it really, Turns your head around. And, yeah. And we're, but it's coming. We're yeah. Like all and these we're gonna, things that are happening. That's right. And we're going to talk a little bit in one of the stories today about how uh, Spotify is changing the rules of how they pay out. And that's going to affect not soundscapes, but certainly some of these um, companies that are putting out rain sounds and white noise and things like that. So we'll get to that mm-hmm. in a second. But before we do, a couple of things. One is next week um, we talk to Howie Singer. Uh, he has written a book that we talked about with Bill Rosenblatt called Key Changes, The Ten Times Technology Transformed the Music Industry. And you and I just absolutely love this book. It is one of the best. It, these guys have really done their research. Um, they've gotten to some minutia and some details that maybe you hadn't read before. But we're going to ask Howie uh, about the book uh, this coming week. So stay tuned for that. And then the last thing before we jump in is... I just want to give a shout out to Storm Glore and his wonderful class at UC Denver. Um, I got to sit in with them this last week and speak with them. And uh, you know uh, better than anyone, it's it's a passion of mine working with colleges, um, mm-hmm. working with students. And it was uh, the highlight of my week was uh, working with Storm in his class. So special shout out to uh, the music business uh, class at UC Denver with uh, Storm Glore. Well, and there's an enthusiasm and energy you feed on with when you talk to students, right? And, and you know, they're just beginning their journey in this business that we've been around for quite some time. And it's still, it's it's really fun. And I can, I, I can see the joy in your face when you talk about it. Yeah. And then you and I were talking before we hit record about, well, what are these people who, these students, these young people who are graduating from college and they're attending these music business programs where are they going? What, what do they want mm-hmm. to do? And I can just tell you from this class, um, Storm had the students in the chat sort of say what, you know, what they were going for, you know, what they were studying. And a lot of it was music marketing, um, but it was really all over the map. Um, really cool thing. Um, the other thing that was really buzzing this week, and man, we got a lot of uh, emails about this. Last week, we talked about a new billboard uh, indie chart rule from Luminate. You, you remember mm-hmm. Luminate? It used to be MRC Data SoundScan. It's you know Luminate. Um, it is the point of reference for you know sales, streams, downloads uh, for the music industry, and they're adopting some new rules for indies. And I'm telling you, the the indies are up up in arms because if this change goes into place as planned, about 95% of the indies um, sales will drop right off. They're not going to be counted because right now, and we'll get into it in a second, they're extrapolating that. So um, there was a piece in um, Hypebot and the headline was A2IM demands 75% adoption before Luminate shifts billboard indie charts data collections. 
So, you know, echoing the concerns of indie music stores and labels over plans by Luminate to change how it calculates physical sales reported to Billboard. A2IM, that's the American Association of Independent Music, in case you don't know, they're calling for a pause until store adoption exceeds 75%, not 5%. Luminate's plan centers on moving from the current reporting which really takes sales from a sampling of stores and applies weighting to calculate total indie physical sales to actual sales reported by approved indie retailers. And many observers believe that if the new billboard charts are launched with the current 5 to 12% store adoption, as much as 95% of indie retail sales will go unreported. Unless at least 75% of Luminate's 642 identified shops are onboarded and reporting repeatedly, durably, and with troubleshooting behind them, the weighted data modeling must continue, wrote Dr. James uh, Richard James Burgess uh, MBE. He's A2IM's uh, president and CEO. Yeah. He also wrote that the only acceptable adjustment plan is one that relies on robust and transparent data as the foundation for ending data modeling. That's that weighting we were talking about. Unless until at least 75% of Luminate's 642 identified record shops are onboarded and reporting repeatedly durably <laughs> and with that troubleshooting behind them, the weighted data, data modeling, it must continue. By the way, indie coalitions estimate the number of independent record shops at anywhere between 1,100 and 1,600. So anything less undermines Luminate's stated commitment to objective and trustworthy information. It compromises their product and disenfranchises independent labels and shops alike. This is the baseline. A truly thorough process would, in our view, also include the following. Number one, a transparent and publicly available rubric for what constitutes eligibility for a shop to report. Right. And number two, support knowledge-based resources for record shops that are thorough, transparent, easily accessible, and proactively provided to retailers without an account or paywall obstacle. Uh, Number three, meaningful reciprocal resources for shops. This recognizes that retailers are provided no compensation despite the time and labor costs required to onboard and report, and in recognition that this work supports Luminate's bottom line. Mm. We feel strongly this should be brokered between Luminate and the store's coalitions. Yeah, so it's it's not a simple fix. Um, Luminate on one side is saying, look, we've given you the tools. We've given you the time. We need you to get these stores on board, but it's not that easy. These are a lot of these are mom and pop shops and they don't have the manpower or, you know, they're busy selling music. So I like what A2IM is saying is like, look, let's just pump the brakes on this a little bit. Let's get the, you know, the adoption a little bit more. So it's a little bit more accurate. And so everything just doesn't fall off the cliff. But, uh, yeah, it was a really interesting piece uh, by our friend uh, Bruce Houghton over there at Hypod. Well, and this really highlights, though, the, the growing pains of new technologies and of new processes. And again, you're talking about it's not like your Tower Records where you can just kind of dictate from the top that everybody do something. Uh, and we was, and we talked about this last week as well. You know, we, we saw this when, when the switch over in 1991 to SoundScan. It was... To say that we're growing pains was an understatement. There was just yeah. lots and lots of action happening. So uh, interesting. Yeah. And, and it will get worked out, but it is a, a slow and, and, and torturous process sometimes. 
Yeah. Yeah, it is. So we're going to jump into our stories, but um, the first one from Music Business Worldwide, the headline, Spotify is changing its royalty model to crush streaming fraud and introduce a minimum threshold for payment. But as we jump into that, Mark Mulligan, um, he had a, a piece on media that really sets this up uh, beautifully. Um, and he talks about what they're calling a two-tier licensing. Uh, and he said that it's, it's about to become a reality. He wrote that streams may have all been created equal, but now some streams are becoming more equal than others. Right now, streams and revenue are effectively synonymous, but by this time next year, they will mean very different things. He says the majority of artists direct will no longer be paid for their contribution to the value of the $11.99 subscription. The estimated 10% of consumption they will generate will disappear from the streaming revenue map. They will be othered, their revenue becoming a new black box for the biggest artists to share between themselves, which means that... Hey, presto, all that annoying artist direct market share suddenly gets relocated to everyone else. Oh Reallocated, boy. I should say. Yeah. Oh, boy. The, so this two-tier system doesn't even try to turn back the clock on the rise of independence. It simply funnels the growing revenue from this cultural paradigm shift to the bigger artists who are losing share right now. In you know, If DSP, that's easy for you to say, if DSP streaming was the only game in town, then the risks of antagonizing long-tail artists, label, and direct would be relatively low, but the music consumption and creation landscapes are changing. Non-DSP streaming revenue is outgrowing DSP revenue, while creators choosing to release only non-DSP platforms is growing twice as fast as artists releasing onto DSPs. He says, perhaps it would serve bigger labels and artists well to have smaller artists and labels focus their attention elsewhere. But if they do so, then they will take audience attention and cultural capital with them. At some stage or another, that kind of shift will start to bite into DSP acquisition and retention rates, by which stage it may be too late to halt the decline. Oof. So that leads us beautifully into this piece by Tim Ingham. Uh, founder of Music Business Worldwide, uh, one of our favorite sources. And I just read you the, uh, the headline. Um, in the actual story, the headline's much longer, though. It says, Spotify is changing its royalty model to crush streaming fraud and introduce a minimum payment threshold. And then it goes on to say, its plan, question mark, to shift $1 billion in payouts towards, quote unquote, working artists over the next five years. And so they say, in short, th there are three changes. Um, and the first one is introducing a threshold of minimal, or I'm sorry, minimum annual streams before a track starts generating royalties on Spotify in a move expected to demonetize a portion of tracks that previously absorbed 0.5% of the services royalty pool. Uh, number two, financially penalizing distributors of music, labels included, when fraudulent activity is detected on tracks that they've uploaded to Spotify. Yeah. And, and number three, introducing a minimum length of playtime that each non-music, quote unquote, noise track must reach in order to generate royalties. And I thought that was really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. These changes that they're making and not everybody's happy with it. But uh, let's, let's walk through them. Let's take number one, introducing a threshold of minimum streams before a track starts generating royalties on Spotify. So 
Today, every play on Spotify over 30 seconds triggers a royalty payment. This won't be the case by early next year. Right. It says, uh, Music Business Worldwide, it's confirmed that starting in Q1 2024, each track on Spotify under the DSP's new plan will have to reach a minimum number of annual streams, but starts generating royalties. That is a change. Yeah, well, and the sources weren't willing to specify what that exact number is yet. Um, so we'll, we'll let you know when we find that out. Um, but that's a big change um, for Spotify. And number two, financially penalizing distributors of music, labels included, when fraudulent activity is detected on music that they've uploaded to Spotify. So it's estimated that 10% of what's streamed today is fraudulent. And I don't know if uh, our listeners have subscribed to um, to Rob Abelow's uh, really great newsletter. It's called Where Music's Going. Um, he had a really cool thing in his newsletter this week. He said, why is Spotify making these changes? And he just, he said, 100 million tracks you know, that are up, 120,000 on average uploaded every day, 30 seconds to earn a royalty, up to 10% of streams are frauds. AI only makes this harder. And he said, the system is outdated and has been gamed. Real artists pay the price. So I think it is time to make some changes and it's going to be, it's going to be a little bumpy. Yes, as all these things are a little bumpy, but this, I mean, this is what we've been talking about for a very long time, and it looks like they're actually putting pen to paper and, you know, kind of drawing a line in the sand, which is, it's probably high time that this happens. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, um, we'll watch some of these things really closely to see um, how they affect the financials, you know, of, of, uh, Spotify streaming. What's interesting is that this was sort of announced with Universal and Deezer, and then all of a sudden this kind of came hot on the heels of it. Um, it was like they were dipping their toe in the water, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's it's happening. And, and number three is introducing a minimum length of time that non-music noise tracks must reach in order to generate royalties. Um, so, you know, today we've seen... An, a number of notable cases, you know, makers of what they call non-music noise co content, things like white noise, beats, whale songs, you know, things, things like that. <laughs> they get paid as the same as every other creator on Spotify. And one of the things I thought was really interesting in Rob Abelow's email is he had a graph that showed rain sounds, 30 seconds, and gets paid the same royalty as Stairway to Heaven by Led Zeppelin at eight minutes and two seconds. Oh, my goodness. It says, uh, from Q1 2024, we, meaning Music Business Worldwide, is confirmed Spotify is planning to significantly elongate the minimum unit of time that each track of non-music audio content must meet before a payout is triggered. Well, there you have it. That just lays it out right there. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's you know, when you start talking about art or music in this case, obviously, and, you know, you start attaching these kind of criteria of what is and what is not, it is a very muckety place to be. And, you know, I really tip my hat for them to kind of laying down some ground rules, but it is really fraught with lots yeah. of just pushback and, and, and yeah. issues. But you know what? We, we, we are stepping into it and it's, it's about time. It's, it's work that has needed to be done for a good long while. And it's nice That's to right. see that. It's, and any, it's any system that you create, people are going to try to game it. So mm -hmm. in this case, 
people have taken these rain sounds and they break them up into 31 second bite-sized chunks because that triggers the royalty. And, you know, it's about time we took a look at, well, is that fair? Is, you know, let's, let's have these different tiers and, and I'm all for it. Um, music business worldwide has yet to confirm with their sources exactly what that minimum unit of time will become. But Tim points out in this article, let's, let's, for the sake of uh, a helpful example, let's say it's four minutes in that scenario, a playlist of white noise tracks currently at 31 seconds uh, each would in order to qualify for Spotify monetization, they'd have to be taken down and split into four minute long tracks and then uploaded. So it's going to be interesting to to see how that happens uh, along that stuff, especially as we're talking about not necessarily uh, songs or soundscapes that we were talking about from Endel, because those are actual songs, actual tracks, track length. But there's mm-hmm. so much um, sound effects, rain sounds, chill stuff, AI created, you know, chill music up there that's in those bite-sized chunks. And if these rules go into effect, I can see them all being pulled down and re-uploaded into, you know, royalty bearing sizes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's going to be a fascinating space to watch and we will continue to watch it. And Jay, before we jump on to our next story, let's have out a big thank you to our sponsors. Oh my goodness. We could not. I'm so glad you remembered. Yeah, starting off with uh, um, your morning coffee podcast is brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle, uh, built by musicians for musicians. Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform, and it makes it super easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. I've built a half dozen websites using Banzoogle, and if a knucklehead like me can do it, anybody can do it. It's got all the features you need for a beautiful website. Everything's built in, hosting, custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to help you sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com, try it for free for 30 days. Just use a promo code Morning Coffee, all one word, Morning Coffee. That'll get you 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code Morning Coffee. Uh, And we also have a new sponsor, Miko. Discover Miko, your ultimate music companion. Enjoy weekly Zoom sessions and professional assistance with Miko bios, press releases, and pitches. Access comprehensive databases connecting you with key industry influencers at Spotify, TikTok, music blogs, radio, and more. Stay ahead of the game with regular industry updates and receive immediate support via WhatsApp and thrive within our vibrant community of passionate musicians. Go to www www.themico.com for more information. Yeah, and thanks to HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. Edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Alana Bonilla, HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music and discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. And I just noticed it said since 2004, so they're going to come up on their 20th anniversary pretty soon. We're going to have to do something special for our friends over at HypeBot. 
Absolutely. Uh, and speaking of bands in town, over 80 million live music fans trust bands in town to get personalized concert alerts, recommendations, and messages from their favorite artists. It's the number one artist service platform connecting over 590,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. Yes, and finally, the Music Business Association. Uh, they, they host an annual slate of in-person and virtual events, so industry professionals across the world can come together to discuss hot-button issues and support the growth of the entire music business community. Join us in, at the conference, the Music Biz 2024 conference, May 13th through the 16th in Nashville at the JW Marriott. I will be there, and we're looking forward to seeing you. Yes, indeed. Big thanks to Banzoogle, Miko, Hypebot, Bands in Town, and the Music Business Association. Boy, we certainly appreciate it, and we could not do it without them. Yes, sir. And uh, let's jump over to the number two story, Jay. This one was another one. This uh, this is 50 years of music industry revenues by format. It's from Visual Capitalist. And you and I love these th- these things we that people spend so much time doing. And, oh, my yeah. God. This is beautiful. A beautiful chart. Just, oh, my God. I, I will let you start it, but I'm just going to okay. sit here and Google it for a bit. It's well, gorgeous. the, the, the uh, graphics that they use in here are just stunningly beautiful. And at a glance, you can sort of see how it goes from, you know, vinyl, 8-track, cassette, CD, MP3, streaming, all of that stuff. And it's, it's really cool. But what I thought was really interesting that you don't typically see is this was adjusted for inflation. Yeah. Um, and that was uh, a really key point. So uh, this is 50 years of music industry revenues by format. And, and they jump in and say, you know, in this ever-changing world of music, you know, the, the, in 2022, it marked another milestone for the seventh year in a row recorded music revenues in the United States rose hitting a high of $15.9 billion. And so this graphic that they have here uses data from the RIAA to kind of chart uh, the growth. Right. And they, they start, of course, with the analog era, vinyl to cassettes to CDs, starting in the 70s, 1970s through the 1990s. And talking about, of course, the big hits of the 70s. And of course, as we hit 1990, we saw the arrival of the biggest game changer of the 20th century, digital music and compact discs. And if you oh, look yeah. at this chart, uh, it is dramatic how much more revenue, again, adjusted for inflation, we're talking about compact discs have $367 billion. Well, they were so expensive, especially in the beginning. Yes. And, and, and in this piece, they say that because of the significant jump in capacity and audio quality compared to, let's say, cassettes, the CD quickly became the leader in sales Peaking around 1999, 2000, with global sales estimated at 2.5 billion. It goes on to say, amid the growing of the growth of digital music, ringtone and ringback revenues also reached an impressive 1.1 billion dollars <laughs> in 2007, constituting, get this, 10 percent of the music wow. industry's earnings for that year. At the same time, digital music allowed consumers to purchase cheaper individual songs instead of full albums and made piracy easier and more widespread cutting into sales we were there we remember that but you know i remember sitting in meetings and just talking about ringtones and how oh me too 
master tones. Yeah. Because some of them, they would use the music uh, from the master itself and others, they just kind of recreated on a keyboard or, or something, you know? Yes. And then they go on to say that changing the sound of music over the last 20 years, streaming, of course, took over the music industry. Digital music revenues, you know, from streaming comprised 89% of the U.S. music industry's revenue in 2022. Services like Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple Music made up 84% of the total industry revenue. So the number of paid subscriptions to on-demand services surged past 92 million that year, showcasing the continued appetite for music. Well, and you know, you look at a graph like this and, and it's, it's pretty remarkable. Going back to 2018, 46.9 million people had paid music subscriptions, which is a pretty darn good number. But then here we are for last year, 92 million. And wow. that's... That is pretty remarkable. Um, and it says in here, for the third consecutive year, our friend Bad Bunny was the most streamed artist, 18.5 billion streams. That's followed wow. by Taylor Swift, Drake, The Weeknd, and BTS. That is a lot of streams. Yeah, it, it sure is. And then the last part of this is the vinyl renaissance. You know, while digital music has continued to ascend... Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that the end of the physical format vinyl sales, for example, also grew in 2022. You know, we've seen, we're seeing that in cassettes and CDs too, that, you know, yeah. we thought that they were sort of uh, going down and then they sort of blip back up. And that's partially because of some of the releases and, and record store day and some of these things, but people, they still like physical things. Well, and you know, you, 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 when your power goes out or when you're traveling on a flight, you suddenly realize it's like, wait a minute, you know, you have to make some plans to, to, to have music to listen to, uh, sometimes, but yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I think both you and I are similar. We, we, we still have our collections, although I'm sort of dwindling mine down a little bit because I, I realize I have too much physical, mu physical, physical product actually in yeah. my garage and in my house. But, you know, I, there are certain things I want to own still. And I don't, I, I don't see that in my kids. They, they no. have no, no, no interest in owning. None. And yet, so that must be a generational thing for sure. But, uh, well, yeah, I, I think some of it, they do like to own vinyl, whether they play it or not. You know, Will Page Correct. said that 60% of vinyl, you know, is purchased by people without a turntable. Um, and I think they like to have something signed at the merch table and, you know, physical is still, uh, for young people, it, that part of it is pretty cool. But, um, I don't really buy CDs much, but I do still buy vinyl. But as we talked about before, it's such a, a different experience. Um, before we jump into the third story, which is talking about Spotify's price hike, um, they really broke it down really well in a, a billboard piece. Um, the headline was Spotify turns profit, adds 6 million subscribers in Q3, following price hikes and cost cuts. And I wanted to sort of, they had a really good recap, um, some bullet points. And, and I'll try to go slow because sometimes you and I get too caffeinated and we get <laughs> too excited and, and we jump into these things. <clears throat> so I'm going to kick it off. You know, we're going to look at their kind of synopsis of this whole thing. So number one, Monthly active users, MAUs, they rose by 26% to 574 million. So compared to the third quarter of 2022, that was uh, beating their guidance uh, by over 2 million. So monthly, mm -hmm. monthly active users, now 574 million. 
So the number of subscribers rose by 16% to 226 million from the year ago. I'm sorry, for the year ago period, also ahead of guidance by 2 million. Ad supported monthly active users. So, you know, that's people who aren't paying that monthly subscription fee. That rose 32% to 361 million from a year ago. Uh, total revenue rose 11% to 3.36 billion euros, which is about $3.57 billion, uh, uh, up from 3.04 billion euros uh, from last, last period. Yeah, so total revenue, that's good. Revenue from premium subscriptions rose 10% to almost 3 billion euros, which is a little over $3 billion. And revenue from ad-supported users rose 16% to 447 million euros or $475 million. Yeah. Operating income, uh, overall, you know, operating income, that was 32 million euros or $34 million. And that was boosted by higher gross margin and lower personnel and marketing costs. Mm, indeed. And the company's gross margin was 26.4% compared to 24.7% in the third quarter of 2022. So yeah. that is the nitty gritty right there. Absolutely. So that leads us beautifully into our last story, which is um, from Music Business Worldwide, written by Daniel Tenser. Really great piece. Headline was Spotify's price hike didn't hurt subscriptions and three other things we learned on its latest earnings call. Yeah, as they said, as they said in this article, efficiency is Spotify's new mantra. And the music streaming company says its focus on cost cutting will mean better profit margins, excuse me, better profit margins going forward. They say, uh, Daniel X said, a new part of the Spotify modus operandi is our focus on efficiencies. He says, Paul Vogel and myself are, and the rest of the management team are constantly looking at how we can make improvements. And we're constantly finding new ways to bring more efficiencies out of the business. Yeah. So let's dive into the three things that they learned on this earnings call. Number one, Spotify's price increase didn't cause cancellations and there will be more hikes. Spotify was the last holdout among major streaming services to resist raising its subscription prices, much to the consternation of music companies. The, the company's strategy thus far has been to build up as large a customer base as possible capturing market share and ensuring a large revenue stream, right? So keeping subscription rates low made sense in that context, but with inflation running hot in recent years, the business licensing music to Spotify were beginning to ask for more. Right. He says for Spotify, the major fear was loss of paying customers and therefore revenue, but the company's leadership was pleased to find no adverse impact from the recent price hike and even reported an acceleration in new subscriptions. Well, how about that? Yeah, well, we, the fear was, right, that if you raise your prices, people are going to jump and you didn't want to be the first one to, right. to raise your prices. And they weren't. Um, number two, Spotify's AI will be a win-win for creators and consumers and will keep listeners engaged. So like many other media and music businesses, Spotify is cautiously experimenting with artificial intelligence technologies. The company soft launched the AI DJ tool. Remember that earlier mm -hmm. uh, with Xavier Jernigan um, and that marketed bespoke digital radio DJ that acts as a personalized AI guide 
that knows you and your musical taste, you know, sort of talks to you and can help you choose uh, what kind of music that you play. And that tool was really expanded globally last uh, August. They also, interestingly enough, unveiled a new voice translation tool for podcasts that can translate shows into additional languages and what sounds like the podcaster's own voice. And you and I have read that and we're like, oh, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, so yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, I, I, I would love to do that with our podcast. I, I yes. would like to I would love to have our podcasts in every different language. And now with AI technology. Um, that's not just a dream. You can actually make that happen. And then the third one here is Spotify's audiobook service already has fans and will be a boost to the book industry. And you and I are big fans mm. of audiobooks. Um, yes. A key part of Spotify's plan is to raise its value to price ratio. Well, what is that? You know, that expands its offerings beyond music. Despite the difficulties in experience with you know, live audio, you know, because they had layoffs, the company is running full steam ahead with plans to become a one-stop shop for audiobooks. Uh, they go on to say, we're encouraged with what we're seeing. And the most important thing is when you think about the consumers that are trying out the experience, they're loving it and they're finding it a really natural part of the Spotify experience and a great value add said Daniel Eck about Spotify's first year in audiobooks, adding that you're definitely going to see us expand audiobooks. So that'll be, you know, but, but again, is this kind of the, the shiny penny and, you know, I mean, remember podcasts were, were the future two years ago, maybe. So for that's their business. Kind of, yeah. For their business. That's right. So they've kind of, you know, moderated that sort of uh, enthusiasm for podcasts and now, we're talking audiobooks. We'll see, you know. And you and I've talked about the back end of that. What is that like? And I'm not entirely sure. And I've asked a couple of people that are in the book, the book publishing business, and they say, you know, it's all over the map. It's so many things depend on it. Who, which publisher are you dealing with, and how sort big of the wild, of wild west, right? It is, yeah. So, so it's really hard to get some. Or I found it hard to get some concrete data on that. But again, there's costs associated with audiobooks. So we'll see. Again, this is uh, we'll see. But these are pretty impressive numbers. Numbers for, yeah. for, for the, on this call. I'd like to see audiobooks evolve. I think the uh, the book we talked about a while back, uh, Bono's uh, autobiography, mm-hmm. um, the way that they included music in each chapter. And I know that's yes. difficult to do because you have to get the publishing uh, cleared for that. Um, but he did it. And it was absolutely amazing. And I was reading the Spitz book on the Beatles. And as he's describing these different eras, I just wish that as I'm listening that I could hear some of that to bring it all in. And I'm hoping that that's one of those um, chasms that can be bridged at some point. And, and the last thing I'll say on this piece is that, you know, Daniel X said that podcasting, the business is a much bigger global business because Spotify is a part of that business now. And, and we're going to have the same benefit on the audiobook side. Uh, which will be great for authors and great for consumers. So yes, they did invest heavily into podcasts and they're, they've faced criticism that those investments may have been too steep, but it's, it's still early, right? We're yes. seeing streaming grow and grow and grow and it's all evolving and changing and Spotify is innovating. Um, but look, it's all good. 
It's all good. It is all good. And on that note, we need to wrap it up, Jay. This is going to have to call it quits on episode 168. We do want to thank our sponsors, Banzugo, Miko, Hypebot, Bands in Town, and the Music Business Association, and the ninja of digital music, my good friend, Jay Gilbert. Thanks, brother. <laughs> and thanks for listening, everyone. We will be back next week, Jay and I, on the Your Morning Coffee podcast. <laughs> You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.